Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is Mark 9. As we read through the Gospels, I hope that the things that are being repeated are being understood. Uh, Because when we see that God in His Word keeps coming back to some similar themes, we should make sure we are paying attention and we should seek to understand and apply those things to our own life. And when we go through Mark 9, we're going to see some things that throughout our reading in the Gospel of Matthew and now Mark have been emphasized and repeated, and they are things that we uh, should take note of. And I want to highlight a few of them today. We'll be reminded of the glory of Jesus. Uh, We'll be reminded of the importance of faith, and we'll be reminded of the example of Jesus as a servant. Well, let's start with the glory of Jesus, which is where the chapter begins. It starts with this statement, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And again, I think that's then leading us right to the transfiguration, like in Matthew. And again, we see this scene of Jesus taking Peter, James, and John, I guess you could say his inner three disciples, and he's transfigured, he's changed before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them, and there appear with them, with Jesus, Elijah, and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter says his bit there, well, it's good for us to be here, um, And they didn't know what to say. It says in verse six, they were terrified. And then a cloud overshadows them and a voice comes out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. That's a good reminder. Sometimes we need to be reminded to shut up and listen to Jesus. And so we we see the the glory of Jesus here. And and that should be a theme. Obviously, we've seen the transfiguration in Matthew, but uh, we see... Christ claiming uh, great things. We see the deity of Christ in the Gospels. We see the glory of Christ. And here we see this picture of it. Now, I think there's a fair argument to be made that we shouldn't totally disconnect the transfiguration from what we read at the end of chapter 8, where Jesus foretold his death and resurrection and Peter rebuked him. And now we see the Father even speaking on behalf of Christ, telling them to listen to Him. And there we see something that you and I need to pay attention to. Jesus has made clear His way was different than how humans thought. His way was going to involve suffering for himself, Uh, but also that would be included for his people. His people were to take up their cross and follow him. And we need to be quiet and listen to him. We need to not try to think that we know how to do things better than Jesus. We need to say, hey, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. That's what I need to do. So the glory of Jesus here that that is in this incredible scene that's almost hard for us to imagine should really lead us to listen to and apply what Jesus says. So don't miss 
that theme. And remember, we've talked a little bit about Mark emphasizing Jesus as the suffering servant. And that is some of what we see even in verse 12, where it talks about Elijah. Um, He's coming first. And then it says, and how is it written of the son of man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. And we know from Matthew, he's referring to John the Baptist. And I think he's trying to point out, look, John the Baptist suffered and was killed. I am going to suffer and be killed. You guys will suffer. And Peter, James, John, two of those three will be killed. Uh, So he is making this emphasis that he is the suffering servant and those who seek to follow him will follow in those footsteps. And we'll come back to that later in the chapter. But then they come back down and there's this scene of this boy with the unclean spirit. And here again, we see what's been a repeated theme in Matthew and now in Mark, the importance of faith. And they come down and they come across the other disciples who are having trouble because they are unable to cast out this spirit that is afflicting this boy. And Jesus doesn't say, that's okay, guys. Thanks for trying. I'm back now. Uh, No, he says in verse 19, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? bring him to me. So again, Jesus's expectation is you should have been able to do this. Why? Because you should have had faith. And even we've seen that Jesus does not see fear as reasonable. He sees faith as what is right and rational in response to what the disciples have seen from him. And we see then Jesus engaging the father and the father asked Jesus, Hey, if you can do anything, please help us. And Jesus kind of rebukes him in verse 23 and says, if you can, Hey, there's no ifs about this. Of course I can is, is the intent of what Jesus is saying. And then he goes on to say, all things are possible for one who believes. And that's where, again, we see another powerful statement from Jesus on faith. And I hope as we see these statements repeatedly, we start to believe them. And again, statements like this, I think, can be misused and abused by false teachers that that basically teach that, hey, faith is kind of like a magic trick to get whatever you want. That is not faith. And there's a lot of this health, wealth, prosperity teaching out there that would take verses like this and twist it into something that we can manipulate for our own ends. That is so incredibly sad. But what we want to make sure we don't do is then say, well, because it doesn't mean what these false teachers say it means, well, then it basically means nothing. No, Jesus is saying all things are possible for one who believes. And I would hope we start seeing what believes what, and we start asking believes what. Faith is not just some generic thing. Faith has an object. And then we should be able to say, yes, all things are possible for the one who believes in Jesus and in his word and in his promises, right? When we start just saying, well, I believe, and somehow that's going to do things that the Bible never says it's going to do. That's where we start running into problems. When we say, no, I believe Jesus, I'm going to take him at his word and I'm going to follow him. Well, then we're going to see great things 
happen. And that's where I want you to even evaluate. Are, what are the things that you are most tempted to be afraid of in your life right now? Start thinking about them. What are the things you are worried about today? Think through those things. And now evaluate as you pray about those things. Is your attitude, God, if you can help me, is that how you are going to God? Because that's where we should be rebuked. If we are going to God with our fears or our worries, and we're basically bringing an attitude to God and saying things to the effect of, hey, God, if you can help me, we need to repent of that. There is no if. God can help us. Jesus Christ has shown his power. We should trust him. Now, there may be times where we're not sure how God will help us. And that's where I think it's appropriate for us as fallible creatures to um, to look to God and sometimes uh, admit, hey, God, I don't know what your will is here, so I'm not going to presume to know your will, but there should be no if you can in our thoughts, in our prayers, in our lives. And that's where, though, sometimes we may need to be honest. And that's what we see here. It's a beautiful phrase, I think, from this father who then cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. And there may be times where we need to cry out to God. And we're in a hard situation. We're saying, God, I believe. I know you can help. I know you are good, but help my unbelief because my heart is conflicted in this, God, and I don't want it to be. God, I believe. Help my unbelief. And maybe some of those things that you're worried about, you need to go to God and say, God, help me. And I believe you can help my unbelief. Jesus then again goes on to foretell his death and his resurrection. And then he corrects his disciples when they are arguing about who is the greatest. And Mark records this as is his style in a very concise fashion. Verse 35, Jesus says, if anyone would be the first, he must be the last of all and servant of all. And again, that's one of those themes we see throughout Mark, throughout the the gospels, Jesus teaching, hey, you want to be great? Be a servant. Is that what you're doing today? At home, at work, at church? Are you acting like, hey, I'm the least important person here? And then we see an interesting account here towards the end of the chapter, something we, we haven't really seen before. And we come and the, the, John, the disciple, is saying to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Now that's interesting, but what's more interesting is Jesus' response, where he says, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So Jesus rebukes, they're kind of over partisan spirit. Hey, if this guy is not with our crew, we need to rebuke him and we need him to stop. And Jesus says, no, if he's doing this for me, let him 
do it. And then he goes on to describe the danger of causing someone else to sin. And then using, again, what we've seen, a very graphic language to talk about the importance of us fighting our own sin and taking drastic action against sin in our lives. And I think you can tie these things together. Now, the Bible warns us about false teaching, and there are times where we do need to warn others about false teaching, because that is not for Jesus, that is against Jesus. But also, there are ways we can still reflect this overly partisan spirit today where, hey, my church or my group of churches or kind of this tribe within evangelicalism that I follow, they are doing things right. And anyone else who does anything differently, they are wrong and they should stop doing what they're doing. Uh, No, we probably need to cool off on some of that. And I think if you take these passages together, a good principle for us would be we might be better off if we spent less time worrying about what other people were doing and more time making sure that I am following Christ and pursuing holiness and that I am not causing anyone else to stumble. I think Christianity would be a little better off if if we all had that mindset. And again, there there are places for us to warn about false teachers. We should be clear about that. But, But in a lot of our life, if we spent less time worrying about how exactly other people were doing things and making sure, well, hey, I want to make sure that I am not sinning and that I am not causing other people to sin because I will stand before Christ and be accountable to him, I think the church would be stronger. So today, are you following Christ? Are you influencing other people towards sin? Make sure that that you are taking the action that is needed in your own life. And let us make sure that we are not missing the themes of the glory of Jesus and, and faith in Him and following His example of service as they continue to be repeated to us in the Gospels. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, just go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.